Technology and food have to be in the top five passions for any nerd. I'm Chris Riley, tech advocate for Splunk, SweetCode contributor, and bad coder turned dev enthusiast. I sit down to eat with techies to talk about modern technologies, careers in tech, and advancement in development practices. My employer does not own or sponsor this podcast. My thoughts are my own, and no guests were drugged or coerced during the recording. This is Developers Eating the World. Okay. Kaslin, we're hanging out at New Ops Days, Dallas. Woo! Exciting. <laughs> Why is it exciting? Because you get to, because you spoke? Well, that's one thing. That's always exciting. But I'm more excited that it's an actual ops audience. I right. speak to a lot of DevOps people. I do a lot of DevOps meetups, a lot of DevOps conferences and things. But actually talking to an ops-centric audience is a rarity. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that unfortunate? It is. I, like we've neglected 50% of the whole DevOps story. I don't know if it's even 50%. Like, I mean, in DevOps, 75%. yeah, but <laughs> if you're talking about like the the skills that are out there, the roles that are out there, the people who want this information, I don't know where that falls in percentages. But I think that ops definitely has been not as promoted as they really should be. I was trying to do some research for this, and it was one thing that I meant to mention in my talk, but I didn't, is that it was kind of hard to find anything about how ops feels about the move to the cloud mm -hmm. and how things are going, because people aren't writing about it. So we need more ops content, all about ops content. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. So uh, it's lunchtime, and yeah. um, we have tacos. tacos. They look pretty good, but I'm really upset there's no Diet Coke. Oh. Like angrily upset. <laughs> <laughs> They're forcing water on me, and that's not healthy at all. That's <laughs> wrong. So wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your role. One of the big reasons I wanted to chat with you is kind of also the evolution of your role, which yeah. I think is fascinating. And then I kind of want to beat up on advocates for a little bit um, to build justification <laughs> for why we exist and do what we do. So yeah. tell me a little bit about your background, what you're doing today. So, and how you got there. Yeah, so I am currently a cloud advocate at Oracle, and we'll talk more about what that means in a minute. But I came to this on a path that actually kind of makes sense, which I feel like is kind of a rarity when mm -hmm. people talk about it their make, paths. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so I started out as a quality assurance engineer at NetApp. Uh, I got my degree in computer science from Virginia Tech and went straight into uh, okay. quality assurance engineering. And I was using Perl to automate testing, functional testing, um, testing the transition between two tools. We can talk about that more if you want. But then day one of that job, actually, I came to my boss and I said, I really like giving presentations. I really like the customer focus I get in this role. So if there are opportunities for me to do more of that, I want to take them and I want to know about them. So eventually an opportunity came up for a technical marketing engineer role. And I was thinking about this last night and I feel like technical marketing engineers at NetApp, at least in the capacity I was doing it, I was kind of like an ops advocate. There are dev advocates, but NetApp's users are mainly ops. So it was kind of like being an ops advocate. I was teaching people about new technologies, uh, doing some projects with new technologies and storage trying to understand how it all fit together. So that's kind of what I was doing there. 
Um, then I moved on to Oracle, where I became a solutions architect, where mm-hmm. I was working directly with companies who are going through this transformation and helping them understand what technologies they need, what they're using, how to make it all work. And then I really liked talking with customers and sharing information, and so I became a cloud advocate. Yeah, and it's a pretty <laughs> nuanced role. What's interesting, what you said, is the path from going from comp sci, QA, solution architect, a lot of times advocates are seen as like the Uber SE or the Uber solution architect in a way. And that sometimes that's actually how they're treated. Like they're brought into the firefight yeah. when something is more multidiscipline. Um, I, so I had a very similar path. Um, I, I, st- I also got a computer science degree, but I didn't feel like my computer science degree set me up very well for anything implementation related. Ooh, you wanna go there? (laughs) (laughs) And I just happened to be pretty good at talking about it uh, in addition to, you know, understanding how it's done but not really being able to do it. So, yeah, I mean, tell me, like, do you feel like your comp sci degree set you up for the the real world of the tactics of, you know, building applications and supporting them? So there's a difference, of course, between computer science and software engineering. Mm-hmm. And I would say that the degree that program that I went through is definitely not a software engineering program. It is a computer science program. So it's about theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, you understand the basics of coding. And you understand kind of the basics of how we got to where we are today. But any job I applied to, it's not like I would know the tech stack coming right. into it from that degree. I did three internships while I was in school, and one was at Microsoft, two were at NetApp, and I was using C Sharp and Perl. I literally never did any scripting at all in my degree. So then I became a QA engineer where all I did was scripting. <laughs> so it certainly, like the things that I studied in school weren't really where I took my career after that. And it's really interesting because I avoided like the system, low-level systems type courses because uh-huh. I was afraid of them because they were very intense. They had a reputation for being very difficult. And then I end up at NetApp, which is a low-level systems kind of place <laughs> where I had to learn a lot about low-level systems and hardware and doing all of these things. So I ended up taking my career in a direction that at first I was completely <laughs> afraid of. It's <laughs> really interesting because I had a very similar path. So. Let's, let's say, you know, maybe there's something there in terms of advocacy and how it leads to advocacy. Um, because the comp side degree definitely gives you a perspective um, that you normally, like a more holistic point of view. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the actual advocate role. It is, you know, it's a, I, obviously in my opinion, a very important role um, for many reasons, for the community, for the organization. There's a lot of precedent out there. Microsoft has kind of set some standards around advocacy. Their advocacy group is probably one of the largest. I'm now seeing DevOps advocates show up inside of companies. So I think JP Morgan has like two or three. Mm -hmm. There's other organizations who literally have DevOps advocates whose sole job is to bring DevOps and steward it across the entire organization. So it's not just the vendors with this role. What do you Somebody asks you what you do. <laughs> People do that all the time. <laughs> yeah. How do you, without giving the office space answer, you know, how, how, do, how do you explain it? 
also, I like to talk about the community and the company. Obviously, you're working for a company, so you mm-hmm. want to bring value to that company somehow. But you also want to be a part of these communities. And sometimes those things can be a little contradictory because mm-hmm. a lot of communities, especially developer communities, they don't want to be sold to. They right. don't want to feel like you're just there telling them about something that they can buy. Right. They want to know about something that's going to help them solve their problems and do their job better. So to be a part of these communities, you have to give them that. You have to make sure that you're being very honest. You give actual tools and solutions. You talk about real problems and use cases. And you try to contribute to that community whatever you can. And then the benefit of that, once you're engaged with those communities, is not that you get to sell to them. Obviously, that would ruin everything. (laughs) The benefit is that you can actually hear people talking about what they honestly think about things. Right. And then you can bring that back into the company. And that is incredibly valuable. And then really it also benefits back. the community by bringing better solutions. Exactly. So yeah. you're bringing their real feedback into your company, making better products, and that's going to make the community's lives better. Yeah. And when push comes to shove, um, and I think this is kind of a cool attribute of techies, is that I think techies, when, especially when it comes to technology, have a really hard time not just being flat out brutally honest about <laughs> what works and what does, doesn't. And their opinions on that. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, which is fine. Fine. I mean, my, my thing has been always, if you can back it up, like, I don't care. Um, when push comes to shove, you know, how do you address those kind of challenges and conversations? <laughs> and I don't mean to put you on the spot. Actually, oh, no. that wasn't very fair because uh, <laughs> I, I deal with this on my own. Um, yeah at a recent conference, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, how do you, how do you protect your personal brand, I'll say, in integrity uh, in your role? Interesting. So, I was just talking with someone about, they asked how I got into doing comics. We haven't mentioned, but I make comics about mm-hmm. technology concepts to and help explain awesome. them. Cloud land. <laughs> Yeah, so I like to use analogies to explain things and and things like that, create my own artwork and all that. So someone was asking me how I got started doing that. And like I said, when I came in day one of my QA job, I said, I want to give presentations and I want to work with customers. So I took any opportunity I could to do that. And I was really disappointed with my presentations. I really didn't like them (laughs) because I was afraid to tell things in the way that I understood them. Mm -hmm. I wanted to sound like the way other people explain things because I thought surely people explain things that way for a reason, so I need to match whatever my customers, my audience is expecting, so I tried to explain it in these ways that didn't really make sense to me, but I tried to make them work and the result tended to be kind of disappointing. So at one point I just kind of gave up and said, screw it, I'm gonna tell it my own way. I've made some artwork and I like came up with this analogy and I talked about it and people loved it. And I was like, what? <laughs> this can actually work for people? Like it works for me? So I started making comics and I know a lot of people don't really like analogies and stuff. So I did some research actually on learning and psychology and neuroscience. <laughs> I was like, really, does this actually work? <laughs> Is this something people can actually learn from? 
and I found a lot of really interesting science that supports that it's a really good way to learn. So I'm really excited about it now, and I'm working on making lots of new stuff. So I keep myself honest by trying to be what I want to be and tell things the way that I understand them. And it's all about being genuine. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a big deal, and that comes across in, like, unknown, unpredictable ways. I think it comes across in your expressions and how you feel about the talk. Because if you don't actually believe it, I, one thing I'll say to people who are like, wow, this, you know, this advocacy role, previously it was frequently called evangelist, which I'm not yeah. a big fan of that title. Um, <laughs> it, you know, you're, the thing with this role is that you can't do a good job unless you believe in the principles that you're talking about. It's just impossible. And I've tried it without that. And let me tell you, the right. results are disappointing. <laughs> right. Like, it's really hard to write a blog post about something that you don't believe in. I mean, it's just painful, and you mm -hmm. can't do it. Um, so I think that's part of the draw. Well, you were recently inducted into the Cloud Native as a Cloud Native ambassador. That's yeah. awesome. Congrats. <laughs> to challenge you on that a little bit. Sure. <laughs> that is not typically an ops audience. Yeah, It's definitely true. on the left side of the DevOps. <laughs> and, yeah. and the unicorns in a big, big way. Yeah. Um, do you feel like that's changing? One thing I like to tell, so I volunteer as a mentor at a local coding school, and awesome. one thing that I'm telling them about getting into tech and learning how to learn and things like that is, it's important to find your people within tech because I'm so outspoken and outgoing and I ah, do all of these things. Okay. I tend to find people who appreciate what I'm doing and they think similarly or they want to have actual discussions. And I find people who are really interesting and fun to talk to from my own perspective. And since I come from a more ops-heavy background, I tend to really see the people who are more ops focused. So like Alice Goldfuss and like Ian Coldwater, I really enjoy following them on Twitter because they post about things that are more operations oriented. Of course, Ian is more in uh, the uh, security space, but they do lots of cool stuff that is related to security and it ends up being operations focused as well sometimes. So I see ops happening, even in these audiences that you wouldn't normally think are ops-focused. So I think it's there. It's just not very well promoted. It's not very well nurtured. I think if we put more focus on ops, you might see more of it coming out of the woodwork, and there might be more there than you think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think I've seen a big uh, evolution even with that audience. I know that the show floor at every KubeCon is so dramatically different from the year previous. And a lot of these projects are kind of built with the idea of just joining the foundation and nothing else. And that's challenging. And there's a lot of unicorns. And the reason I like events like this one is, is to get away from those unicorns a little bit. But um, I see what you're saying about, you know, kind of having your, your cohort, you know, yeah. your group, and then, and then talking outside of that as well. Yeah. Um, so what are you excited about? We'll finish up with this. What are you excited about in the coming? Actually, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to maybe start a new tradition with the podcast. I'm going <laughs> to throw out terms at you, and then you oh, give no. your immediate reaction to them. Or definition. 
Interesting. And these are all ones you've heard. All right. Okay. If there wasn't one, I would have fun with that too. GitOps. <laughs> GitOps. My first thought, honestly, is ah, I want to run around <laughs> screaming. <laughs> <laughs> Source control is the most terrifying thing to me. In Why? all of my internships, I would have the worst time with the source control. I would do everything wrong. Everything would break. I would have to find someone to come and help me fix it. I am terrified of source control, so I think of Git and source control, and I'm like, ah, it's scary and hard and complicated. But there's a lot of cool resources that I've been finding lately. I've been trying to get better at this. Like uh, Julia Evans recently released a comic uh, that's, I don't remember what the non-cursing version of it is, but oh, Git. <laughs> Cursing is just fine. There's plenty of that on this podcast. <laughs> I'll try to be kind. Um, but it's about like all the problems that can go wrong with Git and learning the basics and all that. So, And that's in coordination with a website by the same name that teaches the same stuff. So there's a lot of cool resources out there. So that's, I think about source control and my fear of it, honestly. <laughs> I love source control. Uh, that's it's great. Like, it grounds me and makes me, I have exactly the opposite reaction. Like, mm. This is comforting. But I'm a big information architecture. It does great things. I'm just afraid of actually using it. <laughs> uh, okay, continuous testing. Continuous testing. I love it. My initial reaction is very positive. Came from QA. Obviously, I love testing. I think it's a fantastic discipline that is underappreciated, sort of like ops. So <laughs> continuous testing sounds great. One of the things that they did at NetApp actually was... Um, it was like this crazy idea contest where you submitted your crazy ideas and in my little group we would put ideas up on a whiteboard and like have a whole bunch of them and then we'd submit the best ones and one of them I put up there once was like test before you build. Oh, that's a novel idea. Which at that point idea. I didn't realize was like was an actual test thing. development. <laughs> yeah. And then someone explained that to me and I was like, oh. Well, why, why aren't we doing that? But the way I say it's better. <laughs> and here's a cartoon. Yeah, so... Well, I was just wondering why weren't we doing that? Oh, so, yeah. Testing continuously is a great idea. I think testing should always be incorporated more where possible. So. Okay, last one, AI ops. AI ops. That's exciting and fun and new. I think there's a lot of really cool technologies out right now that you can use to do your own AI and machine learning projects, which is really exciting. I've seen a few people doing uh, personal projects lately with that technology, and the idea that I could create my own bot that does something with AI. So this is learning. you actually building the AI. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it's using tools that exist uh -huh. for AI and machine learning. I think that's a really cool area, and so figuring out what ops can do to support that. And since I'm in Kubernetes, like. Figuring out how Kubernetes fits into the machine learning space, it's all stuff that I'm really excited about. So the reason the, the last episode was the one where I, I, I played this same little game, and, and the reason it's interesting is that every term I gave you, I count at least three current definitions, not like historical to new, yeah. current definitions. I didn't give definitions, I gave feelings. Yeah, but you, <laughs> but you talked about the use cases in a way, and the AI ops one, um, the last interview was, was similar. And to me, um, that's problematic. 
I think that um, it gets very confusing, as you know, oh, yeah. when somebody's trying to navigate this ecosystem and they keep on getting thrown, wor thrown words with ops at the end of it. Yeah, words have meaning and that is very important. Yeah. So, um, so to close it out, what are you most excited about in 2020 in the area of ops? Area of ops in so in your talk you talked about serverless you talked about some like future looking things yeah technologies I mean my kind of core technology that I've been interested in for the last several years has been Kubernetes and going into 2020 we've had Kubernetes for a while it's won the container orchestration wars and it's starting to be picked up by large enterprises mm -hmm. and I've spent my whole career in large enterprises caring a lot about what enterprises think how they do things so seeing enterprises start to pick this up is really exciting for me so I'm excited in 2020 to see how enterprises start using Kubernetes and how Kubernetes the project evolves to support the needs of enterprises. Be easier to use. Yeah, is that gonna make it easier to use? Is it gonna make it more complex? Because there's always more complexity with enterprise things. Just look at really big enterprise applications. They tend to be really complicated to the point sometimes where you have to have specific people to that are trained in that thing to right. run them. Is Kubernetes gonna become that? I hope not, but I'm interested to see where it goes. Got it. Yeah, well, that's very fitting that you became an ambassador then. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kazlin, thanks for joining me. I look forward to seeing you at the next event. It won't be KubeCon, unfortunately. Um, but I encourage the listeners to follow her and see the comics. Yeah, on Kazlin.rocks. <laughs> oh, that's right. The site as well. So Twitter and Kazlin.rocks. Yeah, on Twitter I'm at Kazlin Fields. Pretty easy yeah. to find. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And enjoy Thanks. your tacos. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs>